All right, let's uh, <clears throat> continue our Bible study here in Luke chapter 8. We're going to go verses 4 through 10. Luke chapter 8, we're going to go verses 4 through 10. And when a great multitude... Let's start our Bible study today. We're going to go Luke chapter 8, verse 4 through 10. Luke chapter 8, verse 4 through 10. And when a great multitude had gathered and they had come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. And a sower went out to sow his seed, and he sowed. Some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered and away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, who, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then his disciples <clears throat> asked him, saying, what does this parable mean? And he said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables, that, seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. This is Jesus speaking to a big group and to his disciples. So we go back here, and it says, And when a great multitude had gathered, I want to point this out, that Christ was already there. Christ is also named Emmanuel, God with us. And so the reason why the great multitude is gathering is because there is Christ. If Christ is not there, this great multitude is not going to gather with Christ. So I really want to lay down the idea, the simple idea, that Jesus is at this time physically walking the earth. And because he's physically walking the earth, he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. This is in contrast with everything else from the Old Testament. Uh, well, except for Genesis, whenever he's walking with them in the cool of the day. But here, Christ is on the earth. And so this great multitude, people from all over the place, are gathering. I just want to point out that God's people assembling is what God's people are supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be assembling. And so whenever you have Christ, when you have God, you will have people assembling. I just want to point out these themes. The, but, but the people are gathering. Now they are, they are doing this on their own accord. But they're only doing it because God has already been on earth. God is on earth, Christ is on earth, and now the people are gathering. And they had come to him from every city. And this reinforces what we're getting at, is that there is a him. Jesus is here. Jesus is present. And because Christ is here, people are coming. They're coming to hear him. They're coming to see him. They're coming to experience him. They're coming because they're curious. They're coming because they're hurting. They're coming because they're jealous. However they're coming, they're coming. And you recognize that the Bible doesn't stipulate as to why they come. It just says that they come. When God is present, people come. That doesn't mean that they have good intentions. It doesn't mean that they uh, are going to hear what he has to say and love him, but they come. Because that's what happens. Now this is, this is after Jesus is already here. And we've already, I've already pointed this out. Christ is on earth. Now notice, Christ did not go to them individually. Christ did not go to them individually. The multitude is coming to Christ. But you have to understand that Christ is already on earth. He's physically there. 
So God has first come to his creation. And God has come to his creation in a way that other people, when they hear it, come to him. And the only reason I'm pointing this out is that we're about to hear the parable of the sower, which is, as we'll hear from a later Bible study, the word of God. So there is this layered dynamic where we're about to hear a parable of the sower, but the parable of the sower is in real life being played out. That you can hear the story of the sower scattering the seed, but as the sower is scattering the seed, there is also uh, a lot of people coming to hear the sower. He's sowing the seed to a great multitude. So I like the layers of how the Bible is, how God's word points out God's teaching layered in the fact that the teaching is happening as the Bible is explaining the teaching. It's, it, it is so profound to me that Jesus is going to be scattering the word. He's going to be sowing the word of God physically in the perfect express image of God. And while Jesus is in the perfect express image of God, he's telling people how God's word works. It, it, it's, it's, <laughs> I just, I laugh at that stuff because I never saw that stuff growing up. I never saw that distinction. I never saw those layers growing up. And I'll, I'll point out that the great multitude that's coming to him, they're going to hear him in multiple different ways. Uh, they're going to hear from their buddies who had previously heard of Christ, or they were just passerby and maybe they saw a miracle, or they had heard him before and they heard and they heard that he was going to be present at another location, and so they wanted to hear him again. So this great multitude is coming to Jesus because they've all heard of Jesus, but they've all heard of Jesus in different ways. They're all coming for different reasons, but that doesn't change who Jesus is. That doesn't change the fact that Jesus is the perfect express image of God and that he is there for all to come to him. I hope that makes sense. So we here have here, um, he spoke to them by a parable. This word parable, is this idea, it's a juxtaposition. It's like two ships passing as though in battle. You're making a comparison. You're looking at one thing while drawing its comparison to the other. They are not the same thing, but there is a comparison made between them. And this is what uh, you know God frequently does. He points these things out in parables. What I really like is the idea of the juxtaposition, the side-by-side of two ships in battle. Because you have Jesus who is teaching, God who is teaching here in the Bible, and that is one ship. And then you have the way that we receive God's word, and that's the other ship. And they are doing battle. My ship needs to lose. My way of thinking needs to lose. And you can think that the reason why he, and Jesus will explain why he speaks in parables, but this juxtaposition, this side by side, it's showing the nature of God. God will come alongside you. God will be himself. You will come to him. You will be part of a great multitude that comes to him. You can come to him in all shapes, manners, forms, fashions, or whatever. But whenever you get to him and you hear what he has to say, he is right and you are wrong. He is right and I am wrong. God is God. He is not us. We are not him. When we hear him speak, 
it is him speaking. It is not us speaking. And so these parables, again, the layers here, it's designed to have us hear God. Do we submit and are we humble to hear what he says? I just think it's beautiful. Jesus goes on. A sower. Now this word sower here, it's one who extends. Literally, the, the existence is extension. The sower exists to extend that which he has. So if a sower has seed, a sower exists to extend the seed. What, what, what really gets me is that it doesn't speak about the limitations of the sower. It doesn't speak to the limitations of the quantity of the seed. The, the parable focuses on the fact that the seed is sown. It is not retained. It is always going to be thrown. It's going to be thrown here, thrown there, thrown here, there. It's going to always be in throwing. And the sower exists to extend. When Jesus came to earth in his earthly ministry, he came to show how to live. He also came to die for sin. So he came, Jesus came as the extension of God. He is God, but he came only to show us God, only to be perfect. He couldn't do anything else. And so a sower exists to extend, and his existence is extending. It doesn't matter where he goes, sowing is his function. He will always be sowing. That is his purpose. He went out to sow his seed. So again, the sower is heading out, which means he's not standing still. He's moving. It also speaks to a deliberate and ambiguous kind of path. He's going out to sow his seed. That's the mission. But as he sows and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. So now we have a traveling aspect. So some are by the wayside and it was trampled down and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock. So now we're sowing on the rock. And as soon as it sprang up, it withered because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns. So now there's thorns. Yeah, so, so we're getting this idea that the sower is scattering his seed all over the place. Now, we will see at a later Bible study when Jesus explains all, what all this means. But what I wanted to do was focus on the sower. Focus on the seed that was being sown as an extension of the sower. And that the sower is indiscriminate. The sower is going to sow at the wayside. He's going to sow uh, on the rock. He's going to sow on the thorns. Which means that if you were a sower, you are not trying to deliberately plant your seed at specific locations. You are always sowing your seed. And sometimes your seed will fall on the wayside, which is out of the way. That's not the way that you think. That's not the highways and byways. That's kind of out of the way. You don't really expect that to be happening. It kind of spills over, as it were. Like It's like you're carrying a big carriage or a big wagon or a big bag full of seed. And as you're traveling, some kind of spills out on the wayside. That's what this is getting at. And if, someone spill, if some seed spills out while you're going to your destination, that's fine. Don't stop and pick it up. Just keep going. And, and some people, they, they sow it and it falls on rock. Which means, I mean, think about this. If it's seed, seed has to be in the ground. Why would you ever throw seed on the rock? This is the miracle of God in such that even if you throw your seed on rock, that doesn't mean the rock can't be uh, softened. That doesn't mean that the rock can't be, uh, you know, the, the seed can't plant there. Now, this is, this is where 
whenever the parable is talking about this, you're sowing on the rock and soon it sprang up, which shows that there is uh, the seed's ability to get and to hold root to spring up on rock. It withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns. The point is that the sower does not discriminate where he sows. He is always sowing his seed. We'll get into another Bible study when Jesus explains what these mean. So we're not going to get into this right now. But others fell on good ground, sprang up and yielded a crop of hundredfold. Now, I mean, I'm not a farmer, and there's plenty of studies on this that show that uh, a farmer, a good result on a good crop is seven. A sevenfold um a sevenfold response, a sevenfold growth is a great harvest. That's a great uh, return. But this is talking about a hundredfold. So there's this element that if you're always sowing, you don't know where you're going to be sowing. And here's the thing. If it's the word of God, it doesn't matter where you're sowing. Because the word of God is for all people, all places, right? The great multitude has come for him come to him and if you're sowing it everywhere you go because your your existence is extending the word of God you are taking the word of God with you by the wayside by the rock the thorns and the good ground you never know when you're going to get a hundredfold return on crop you never know that and so the sower doesn't sow knowing that he's going to get a hundredfold or knowing that the thorns are going to choke it or knowing that the rock's going to prevent it uh, from taking root or knowing that it's going to be trampled on the wayside and the birds are going to eat it. The sower does not know that. The sower sows a seed. That's what they do. That's what the sowers do. Now, I also want to point out something because someone may be saying that, well, Jesus doesn't know, is Jaron saying Jesus doesn't know who's going to believe? I'm not saying that. I believe God knows when people will believe, and it's because God sows his seed. I believe God absolutely knows his children, and his children know him. I'm not looking down into those. There are doctrines, I believe, man-made doctrines that try to get into distinguishing this. When Christ, in my view, is very specific, and that's, if you are a sower, sow the seed. If you are a sower, sow it all over the place because you never know if you're going to get a hundredfold or if it's going to be thorns or it's going to be rocks or it's going to be a wayside. The point of the parable is if you are a sower, sow the seed. It's not, well, does the, does the sower know that it's going to be on a rock or a thorn or a hundred? Don't, that's not the purpose of this. That, that is a, I believe that is a man-made focus applying a lens to Jesus that Jesus is not presenting himself. Jesus doesn't present that. Jesus says, if you've got the seed, sow it. If you've got the seed, sow it. <clears throat> when he had said these things, he cried. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now we'll get into this whenever Jesus talks about this is a posture of your heart. This talks about the condition of your heart whenever you hear the word of God. So whenever you hear the word of God, it's, it depends on the posture of your heart on whether or not it, it yields a crop. So when Jesus is saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now what I think is amazing is that this great multitude has come from all over, right, from every city, and they've gathered to him. Now they've gathered to him because out of curiosity or animosity or affinity or whatever, whatever reason they have come to Christ, they have come to Christ. And still, whenever they're in the presence of the express image of God, he still says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
which is a way of recognizing that not everyone who comes to Christ comes to Christ for the right reason, and not everyone who comes to Christ who hears his word will believe him. So this is just amazing to me. And it also talks about he who has ears to ear, let him hear. God deals with the words. The words may paint a word picture in your mind, but the words are not the physical, tangible thing. They're not an actual tree, an actual rock. They are the way that God communicates. They are spiritual. They go through your ears. You may be reading the words on the page, but as the words on the page are entering through your eyes into your head, they are organizing your ideas. This is why I said I believe it's a man-made way of thinking that investigates, does God know uh, if every seed is going to be uh, on the wayside, the rock, the thorns, or the fertile ground? That's a man-made lens. That man-made lens is going to try to figure out Who's the hearing and, and how can they do things? When Christ clearly has all people come to him and as all people, because he is there first, Christ is there first. And when all people come to him, he then gives his word, which means that his word and invitation to come hear Christ, whether by curiosity, affinity, whatever, is already there. Christ is there first. There is no one before Jesus. And because Christ is there, Everyone can come to him, and when everyone comes to him, however they come to him, then they hear what he says, and what he says is going to depend on their condition of their heart. But it's going to be on what they hear. It's going to be on the word of God. It's not going to be on what they see as a miracle. It's not going to be on uh, a sign or a gift or anything like that. It's going to be what they hear. It's going to be God's word that they believe, not God's signs that they believe. Then his disciples asked him, saying, what does this parable mean? Now his disciples are not the great multitude. There is a distinction between his disciples and the great multitude. And this is because his disciples are following him. And, uh, and so they're asking, what does this parable mean? Which means his disciples, who are not the great multitude, don't know what he's saying. <laughs> they don't understand what he's saying. Which means it's possible to be a disciple of Jesus and not know what Jesus means. It's perfectly able to happen. And this means, this just shows that you will never completely understand Christ. This is the depth and the glory of the Bible. This is this is the complexity and the wisdom of God is that the simple words on the page are infinite in their understanding and they're infinite in their depth and their wisdom. And so his disciples' simple question, what does this mean, shows that even though they walked with Jesus and they believed him, they don't understand what he means. It's that simple. And he said, Jesus said, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom. So this is, God has granted, Jesus has granted the you. Who's the you? The disciples. So to the disciples it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But right there the disciples are asking a question which shows that at that moment they do not understand the kingdom of God as it's being presented in a parable. So how can you be a disciple of Christ if you don't know the mysteries of the kingdom of God and you're asking the question? The answer is his disciples are asking Jesus because they believe Jesus knows. That's the answer. His disciples are looking to Jesus as God. 
And because they're looking to Jesus as God, they don't have to know everything. They don't have to know infinity. They don't have to know the complexities. They don't have to project onto him a man-made doctrine. They just have to look to Jesus as king. They have to look to Jesus as God. Because whenever there's a mystery of the kingdom of God that they don't understand, they look to him. And how do they do that? They're now reading their Bibles. <laughs> They're now hearing what he says. Based on what he says is is how you know who God is. And so I just want to draw that distinction. But Jesus says, to you it has been given. So remember, your knowledge has been given. The Bible is given. Christ is given. Salvation is given. These are gifts. These are things from God. And because these are from God, you can now know your knowledge is given from God, and it now unlocks the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But opposite, contrast to the rest. Okay, so there's a distinction between the disciples and the rest. The disciples is not the rest. The rest is not the disciples. Those are different. But to the rest, it is given in parables. You notice that God still gives... But what God is giving is a parable. And remember, the parable is that juxtaposition, that side-by-side, side, those two ships doing battle. Those two ships uh, that are uh, drawing comparison. And this is the difference between a disciple and the rest. The disciple is not in battle with God. We may have our valleys. We may have our times when we go through doubts. We may have our times when we yell and we pray and we say, why are you doing this to me? That's natural. That's 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 absolutely part of our, our, our walk with Christ. But the disciples are not the rest. The rest are given parables. And the parables are designed to get people to wrestle and meditate on the word of God. And this is where the Bible says, seeing that they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Let's put a pin in this. Let's go to uh, Isaiah chapter 6. Um, it is, what's it, 9 through 13. Isaiah chapter 6, 9 through 13. And he said, Go and tell this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. This is the verse that Jesus had just quoted. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return to and be healed. So, Isaiah is saying, hey, um, send me. I want to be the voice of the Lord. He's volunteering. He's saying, I'm, I'm unworthy, but once God makes him worthy, he purges the sin away. He says, send me. And God says, okay, go tell the people. Now, you're going to tell the people stuff, but you're going to tell people that their hearts are going to be dull. Their ears are going to be heavy, which means they're not going to hear your message. You are going to say words from me, and they ain't going to hear you because their people are dull, their eyes, are, their ears are heavy, and they're going to shut their eyes because God doesn't want them to see with their eyes. He doesn't want them to hear with their ears. He doesn't want them. God doesn't want them to understand with their heart and return and be healed. Don't you see that? Don't you see that the only way to be healed is to return to God, to have a heart that looks to him for the answer. This is the difference between a disciple and the rest. If you are a disciple of God, your heart is his. If your heart is his, you are going to turn to him and you are going to be healed. Which means that you're going to be hearing with your ears what God says. 
Now God goes on here in Isaiah 9 and he says, Then I said, this is Isaiah saying, Lord, how long? How long is this going to happen? And God answered, Until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant. The houses are without a man. The land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. But yet a tenth will be in it, and will return and be for consuming as a terebinth tree, or as an oak, whose stump remains when it is cut down, so the holy seed shall be its stump. Now this obviously... Is talking about Jesus. Is talking about the time whenever um, there's going to be the word of the Lord is going to be the stump. The stump of the tree is the base of the tree. It's the root of the tree. You can't have the branches. You can't have the fruit. You can't have anything else without the stump. So God is saying, I don't want them to come to me quickly because their hearts are not for me. And God is going to God's saying. Bad things are going to happen to force them to get back to me. But despite the bad things happening, there's always going to be a remnant. There's always going to be people who are looking to me, who are hearing me, and believing what I say. This is how God's worked and God's done things throughout his whole scripture. He's done this thing throughout his whole scripture because he wants your heart to be his. He wants you to worship him. And because he wants you to worship him, he does not want you to look to people, you know, doing, uh, who are big and sensational and saying, look at this sign or look at this proof or look at this miracle or look at, read the Bible, believe the Bible. That's how we know who God is. That's the word of God. That's the seed. That's, I mean, that's cheating. Uh, That's cheating for the next uh, Bible study, but that's what the seed is. The seed is the word of God. When you believe the word of God, you will have the mind of Christ. You will know what God thinks because this is how he talks. And you will know, even if you don't understand everything, you will be his disciple because you'll be looking to him, Jesus, for the answer. You'll be looking to what Christ said in his Bible for the answer. And whenever you do that, now you will be a disciple. And even though you might not understand what he means or what the Bible says... It will still be given to you the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And the simplest mystery is that it is all in Christ. Christ is all and in all. Christ is your salvation. Christ is the is the king. He is the one. He is the key to unlock everything. It's Christ. Which is, again, it's funny to me that Christ is saying, and he's probably saying this in front of all the people, which is funny. You know, Christ is the key. He's referencing the mysteries of the kingdom of God while he's standing physically in the flesh in front of a bunch of people. And these bunches of people aren't looking to him as king. But the people who are looking to him as king, they get the mysteries of the kingdom of God, which the mysteries of the kingdom of God is the man physically standing in front of them. It's, uh, it is, I mean, the, the Bible has so many layers. It's just amazing to me. Next time we'll pick up verse 11. God bless you.